Hello and welcome. You're listening to season one of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes talk about trauma of various kinds. So listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people who understand exactly what you're going through and who can help. If you're looking to connect more closely with that village, join us on Facebook in the group Your Village by following the link at the top of today's show notes. When you join, enter your email to receive our free monthly resource. Hopefully you'll learn something new, hear something interesting, or truly just be reminded that you're not alone. Without any further ado, let's get to today's episode. Good morning and welcome. Today I have with me Emily Powell, who is an expert in mental health counseling. Emily, welcome. So glad to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. So I'm really glad that you're going to be on talking to us today. You know, Jibber Was Mad is all about bringing parents information in the mental health space. And I myself am a parent of a young child with mental health challenges. And I have been trying to find information for how I can better connect with him, how I can help him, how I can learn more about supporting him. And so I think having a mental health professional kick this off with us is a really wonderful way to spread that information to parents like myself who may also be finding the same challenges. So can you introduce yourself and tell me about what you do and your relationship with mental health in general? Yeah, of course. First of all, I just want to say it's so amazing that you are kind of endeavoring to learn more about your son and and whatever he might be struggling with. I think that's really a testament to the parent that you are. Thank Um, you. In terms of, yeah, of course, in terms of what I do, I own a private practice. Um, I work mostly with older teens and young adults, though I do have experience working with younger kids as well. Um, I used to run an intensive outpatient group for like tweens. So that tough, like 10 to 13 age, which we all know and love. Um, I remember being a tween myself. It was a tough age to experience it. And I'm sure it was even tougher for my poor mother. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. Many you know, slamming of doors for sure. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I I really am passionate about all things mental health and really spreading awareness around how best to support our kids and teens through really such a challenging time in life, let alone, you know, with the context of all the things that young people are dealing with nowadays. Oh, absolutely. And I really appreciate that, that effort to spread awareness because that has been my biggest challenge as a parent has been finding information. What are some of the common challenges that you see amongst this teen tween age group? Are you seeing similarities in terms of the challenges that they face or the kind of things that they're coming to you to help them deal with? Yeah, definitely. I think that 
this age is super interesting developmentally in general because oftentimes our teens think in terms of absolutes and in terms of black and whites and you know if my parent didn't let me go here then they hate me and they're a terrible and um the nuance is really lacking and that can be super frustrating for parents who have a little bit more insight around how the world around them functions um so a lot of things that i'm seeing right now are feeling super misunderstood and disconnected from their caregivers um as a as a result that lack of connection can cause a lot of anxiety depression a lot of teens and tweens use self-harm as a way to cope which can be really really challenging for parents to have to navigate um and i can definitely talk more on that if it's of interest um a lot of you know challenges at school social things are the norm to feel like um you know isolated from friends or feel like there is drama in the friend group so i do a lot of relational work with with the teens for sure you know i i love that you said a lack of nuance in that emotional processing i remember being in seventh and eighth grade myself mm -hmm. and just thinking this was life this was what life was yeah. always going to be like i I knew I could envision life as an adult because I watched movies and I saw it on TV. And of course I saw my parents. It's not like I didn't know that adults existed, but looking back, I don't know that my brain could fully process that what I was experiencing was temporary and that there was a wider world out there. And so, you know, I can really see how that can impact kids. They don't have that frontal lobe development, right? I mean, their brain just isn't fully developed. And I certainly see that in myself looking back, um, you know, and it's, is it, is it, should parents reach out before it gets to that self-harm stage? I mean, is that something, what are some red flags that we, parents could look for to try to get intervention and help before it gets to that place? Sure. That's such a good question. And I think you know, when, when parents, and for full disclosure, I'm not a parent, I hope to be one day, but um, for parents who are dealing with kids who might be suffering, a parent then becomes super activated and can kind of think and act with their amygdala, the emotional center of their brain. So oftentimes they're not thinking rationally or they might end up, you know, trying to help but then further kind of saying something or doing something that doesn't end up with connection to the team. So um, I can kind of give an example of, of a way to describe like how the teens in our world during this time, if that would be helpful. That would be um, wonderful. So think about a thunderstorm and think of yourself as like a five or six year old, okay? So let's say it's thundering out, maybe there's lightning and it's dark and it's really loud and you feel really scared as a five or six year old, right? What do you do? You might run into your caregiver's room and wake them up and say like, I'm scared, what is going on? What is happening? There's all these crazy noises outside, right? There are many ways that the parent might react, but usually it falls into one or two buckets one would be a parent is dealing with a bunch of their own stuff right maybe they had a really stressful day at work maybe they were 
um, super tired and looking forward to a good night's sleep. And now we have this kid running into their room. In that instance, the parent might meet them with, go back to bed, you're being ridiculous, like it's the weather, why are you, why are you freaking out, right? Or the parent might respond and say, yeah, it really is scary, like it's loud, it's waking me up too. You want me to come like lay with you and scratch your back for a little? So there, this is obviously a very like a juvenile example, but these are two reactions from parents that kids get. The first one teaches the kid, my needs don't really matter. I'm being ridiculous and irrational. The second one is, okay, I can tell my, my parent or caregiver what I'm feeling and needing, and I'm going to be met with love and comfort and tenderness, even though in the parent's world, it's ridiculous. It's a thunderstorm, right? So kind of bringing this to the bigger picture, maybe over a lifetime of this kid turns seven and eight and 10 and 11 and their parents are really busy or you know perhaps there's like conflict in their relationship or all the other things that we know are going on in the parents life maybe they're not meeting their kid like with the needs that the kid has again not to blame the parent there's stuff going on in their life but over time, if the kid isn't getting what they're needing emotionally, that is when we see a lot of mental health present itself. So the kid basically learns to turn inwards. Um, sometimes this looks like isolating. Sometimes it looks like self-harm. Sometimes it looks like, um, you know, trying drugs or alcohol or like restricting food. It's all of those things. And really, like, the essence of it is this, like, sense of emotional loneliness. Emotional loneliness. Oh, my gosh, I love that so much. And that's such a great example. I really, I can picture in my mind, because I do have young kids at that six, seven, eight-year-old age, I, mm -hmm. I know that feeling when they run into you in the middle of the night and they're scared and all you want to do is go back to sleep. Right. But you do, you have to be emotionally available to them. You have to make sure that they know that you care because, and I, I heard a quote once and I wish I could remember it because I'm absolutely going to butcher it, but it went something like, if you don't pay attention to the little things now, your kids aren't going to come to you with the big things later, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. right now the little things are big things to them. Yeah. You know that it's just a thunderstorm. You know that it's just thunder and lightning and you're absolutely fine. To them, it sounds like the world outside is collapsing and they don't understand what's happening and you are their safe place. And so I think right. that's so important to remember that even as even when we're at the absolute end of our tether, we have to make sure that we're staying emotionally available to our children so that they continue to come to us. Because the worst yes. thing that can happen is for them to disconnect from us and from their own internal emotional lives. And mm -hmm. that, I think, to your point, leads to things like drug and alcohol abuse, to self-harm. Even something as simple as not maybe doing well in school could be an early sign that something is really wrong. Not to say that everybody mm -hmm. who's not doing well in school has some emotional disconnect on the inside. Some of us, mm -hmm. myself included, just weren't good at <laughs> math, mom. And that's right, okay. Right. Yeah. But I think it can be a sign of something deeper. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, mm -hmm. What are some things that you wish people knew? I mean, I certainly hear it in your voice. You wish parents knew 
that they needed to maintain that emotional openness and that space for their child to be a child and to explore the world. Are there anything, is there anything else you wish people knew, either the kids or the parents? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot I wish people knew. (laughs) And I think that a lot of times it takes, you know, it's all an experiment. Like there's going to be times that are really hard on the parents and that, you know, that night that the kid runs in with the thunderstorm example, like they just can't get themselves to go and deal with the kid. Right. So that is not going to automatically lead your kid to like turn to drugs and alcohol. (laughs) That's not, that's not the point I'm trying to hammer home. It's over time, not a one-time thing. Yes, exactly. I think one thing that I've found just through my work as a therapist is this desire on a parent side or caregiver side to fix the issue. Mm. And a lot of times kids and teens and really humans in general just want to feel heard. And there's a huge difference. The fix it might look like, um, let's say your kid comes home and they had a really hard day at school. Maybe they're dealing with some friend stuff, or maybe they're getting bullied and they come home and they're like, I hate school. I hate my friends. They're so mean. A parent might be like, yes, I'm going to the school and I'm going to like beat up that, that kid's parents <laughs> that's making fun of you or, um, you know, like trying to fix the problem mm-hmm. in reality, a more, suitable approach might be like, wow, that sounds so hard. Like you have every right to feel really upset. What does that like upset feel like? Or is there something that I could do to better support you right now? And that's when the kids like learns, like I'm noticing that I'm feeling upset in my body and I need a hug from my parent or like I need to go run outside or play a game or be distracted. So again, over time practicing that, you're showing to your kid, like, it's a, I'm this space for you to come when, when things get tough and I'm going to listen rather than try to like create the solution that might not really be like helpful in the long run. Right. Um, so I think that that, I mean, that really is like in my, in my professional opinion, like one of the most sacred parts of therapy is that like, I'm just a space for people to come to when they're struggling. And I'm not trying to say, oh, you should do these three things and everything will be better. I'm like, I'm here to witness your pain and to, and to hold that pain for you. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, it makes me think of my own therapy because I've been in therapy and I think back to the best therapist I ever had. and, And she was so amazing. It was right after I gave birth to my first son and Uh, I, we really struggled. It was a really, really difficult time. I almost died. He was not well. It was a really tough time in our lives. And I was seeing her multiple times a week. I mean, I was truly in a crisis place. Um, and she would let me bring my baby with her to therapy and I would, you know, hold him and cry and cry and cry. And then the hour was up and it was like, okay, thank you for that. You know, I just needed a place to sit and cry. And some days we didn't even talk. Some days I just sat there, you know, she would hold my baby a couple, a couple of times, you know, I just hand her the baby and I just sort of sit on the couch and I'd say, 
it's so hard. I can't do it. I can't do it. And she'd go, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, you're Mm -hmm. here, breathe. You have this time, you have this space. And that meant so much to me to just be heard. She wasn't going to come to my house overnight and hold my sleeping baby. She wasn't going to be able to fix his medical problems. She wasn't going to be able to go to my doctor's appointments for me, but she held that space so that I could be heard. And Mm -hmm. that felt like somebody valued me as a human being. And it helped me then walk away and feel like I could fix the problem myself. And I think that's what you're doing is you're giving these, these teens, these tweens, these children, that space so that then when they go back to their quote unquote real life outside of therapy, they can fix their problems if they Mm -hmm. want to. And sometimes I found that maybe after my appointment, the problem didn't seem like it needed fixing either. Maybe it didn't seem as overwhelming or as huge or as life altering as it felt before I walked in. And I think that's Mm -hmm. exactly what you're saying. I mean, I don't need to put words in your mouth, but (laughs) I I do have a- curveball question for you. But, um, so my son was recently diagnosed with something called DMDD, which is, um, a mood disorder that is characterized by rage. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. the amygdala earlier, and I know from the very little information I've been able to gather online that what's happening in his brain is that his amygdala is essentially overreacting. It's feeling like he's in a fight or flight stage. Mm -hmm. So when somebody is in that rage, that fight or flight or freeze or hide moment, I imagine there's nothing you can do in that exact moment to rationalize with them or even to tell them it's going to be okay. It's going to be over. Really. I think all you can do is hold space. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it sounds like um, in therapy, we use the word amygdala hijacked. And that's Ooh, kind of I that, like that state of like, just being completely taken over by that, like super, you know, emotional side of, uh, of your brain and being unable to access then the logical and rational thinking. Um, and you're right, it is, it wouldn't be effective if you were like, you know, okay, calm down, like it's going to be fine. That's not going to, you know, help your son process this. Um, I agree. I do think that it's hard with anger because anger is like, feels like a threat. And I'm sure as a parent, it's just like exhausting sometimes and maybe scary and frustrating and all of those things. Um, I think, yeah, continuing to show him that the space exists when and if he's ready to use it. Sometimes it can also be helpful um, to match somebody's emotions. So let's say somebody comes into therapy and they're like really depressed and maybe they're just like, they're at, like they're, they're hunched over. They, you know, aren't making eye contact. Like I might match that because it shows that I'm understanding where they're at without having to really say much of anything. Same with anger if a client comes in and they're like, like they're yelling, they're throwing their fists, I might be like, oh my God, that sounds so frustrating, like, you know, like raise my voice and really match their affect. And by doing this again, it's just a way of like mirroring um, that you see them and that you're also feeling frustrated for the experience that they're going through. So that's another like 
technique that I use in therapy. I don't know how effective it would be as a parent, but you could try it. I think any tools in the parenting toolbox are helpful and I've never heard of that. So I really appreciate having that extra tool. I'm definitely going to try it. So I'm not sure when he's, you know, throwing things, I necessarily want to throw things myself, but I love the idea of matching his affect and saying, this is so frustrating. This is really angry. I feel the same way. I feel really mad about this too. I'm so sorry. We couldn't get your haircut today. I really wanted to as well. And I think- You're absolutely right. There is, I can envision that working to some degree. I can envision him sort of, if nothing else, being a little stunned by the fact that mommy's mad too. (laughs) And might, you know, it might help sort of pop him out of that, uh, you know, out of that place, or at least to your point, show him that I understand those feelings as well, even though his rational brain can't process that yet. So that's a really good piece of advice. I think that like the key element here and really like the word that I just love using with parents is connection. Mm. Like the goal is connection. And when we try to fix or try to like minimize things that creates disconnection. So if you were to say to your son, like, it's really not that big of a deal. You can get your haircut tomorrow or later in the week. He's going to be like, again, going back to the thunderstorm example, like my needs don't matter and I'm being, you know, my emotions don't matter. Um, Whereas if you said like, yeah, that's so frustrating. Then he's like, it is, I know. (laughs) And he feels heard. And then that's where the connection is like created. Now, let me ask, can you try to solve after that? So once you've created that connection, can you then troubleshoot and say, Mm. once you've made that connection, can you say something like, I understand you're so frustrated. I am too. I understand how annoying this is. Maybe we can get our haircut tomorrow. How would that work? Is that something Mm -hmm. that you would recommend doing? Or would you say, you know what, wait maybe until tomorrow and bring up the haircut? Mm -hmm. What would your advice be? I think that it's obviously, you know, a case-by-case basis, but I wonder if instead of you offering the solution, if you asked your child what they think the solution is, because that gives them this sense of autonomy, right? Which if you think about it, kids don't have a lot of autonomy. They go to school all day and are told what to do. And then they come home and their caregivers tell them what to do. And especially for teens, all they want is autonomy and they can't get it. So a lot of times teens and kids are really never asked, like, what do you want to do? Or what would you prefer in this situation? So maybe for your son, like, maybe it's not even about the haircut. Maybe he just needs to, like, get out of the house. Or maybe Mm. he was looking forward to, you know, a change in his appearance. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But, like, you know, maybe his solution is, like, putting on a different outfit or like spiking his hair in a different way. I don't know. I think if you give him that option of like creating his own solution, you're also showing him like you have these emotions and you inherently know what you need and what you want. So you're empowering him to do that on his own. That's amazing. That's such great advice. And I love the idea of empowering him to find the solution because it's true. If I were to offer a solution at any point, 
it would be me trying to, again, fix it and uncover the root cause of that upset. And only he knows the root cause of that upset. So that's great advice. Any final words of wisdom you would get give to parents out there who are dealing with really angry kids? Yeah, I think, again, like, first of all, taking care of yourself, because mm. you can't show up for really anybody until you show up for yourself. So if you're dealing with a lot of chaos at home and, you know, angry kids or kids who are really deeply struggling, that's a lot on you as a parent. So making sure that you have your own supports, whether that's therapy or, you know, friendships, whatever, whatever that looks like for you. My answer tends to be therapy, but <laughs> I have a little bit of bias. Um, it's okay. We all have biases. I totally understand. And I personally am a little biased towards therapy myself. So <laughs> right. um, I think outside of that, I think you kind of asked about how to be proactive with your kids. If you see them struggling, even just a little bit, maybe there's a shift in their schoolwork or their day-to-day -day function or their desire to hang out with friends try to create that space for them. Um, I always like to take a more preventative approach. If you're worried, like reach out for help because help does exist. Um, and I will say like, there is a mental health crisis right now and it didn't take COVID to create this mental health crisis. It happened before COVID, you know, it's been a long time coming and now people are talking about it. So knowing that you're not alone and that nobody should feel like they're alone um, and that there, there are people out there that want to listen, I think is really, really important because mental health really matters and your kids' mental health matters and your mental health matters and supports exist for you to feel like you're heard and that you're not alone. What a wonderful sentiment to end on. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Emily. Hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources and a link to join your village, our Facebook community. Catch you next time.